following message was recorded at River City Church. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's great to get preaching this morning before Brian stole my whole message. Praise the Lord. Open to the book of Colossians. So guess what we're going to preach this morning? We're going to preach the gospel. Praise the Lord. Because the gospel is the light of God by which men see. And I really believe that simply preaching the gospel opens our eyes. So we've heard that several times this morning concerning the opening of the eyes of the church, the opening to reality. The reality that's already there in the eternal realm. Do you remember, of course, Elijah? Uh, no, it wasn't. It wasn't Elisha. It was at the city of Dotham. And the city was surrounded by a great army. And his servant said, oh, my goodness, we're done for. We're doomed. What are we going to do? And Elisha prayed this prayer, Lord, open his eyes. And can you remember what he saw when his eyes were opened? He saw that they were surrounded not by the enemy, but by the glory of God. And that's what the church is seeing in this hour. You may have grown all your Christian life thinking God was surrounded by the enemy. The world is going to pots and it's getting worse and worse and the church is getting weaker and weaker. And if we hang on by our fingertips, maybe we'll be taken away. I'm sorry, you were surrounded by the glory of God. You're surrounded. The whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of God as the waters cover the sea. Now, this is Paul telling this and ministering this to the Colossians. We're going to read Colossians 1. From verse 9, he's just introduced himself. He says it's great to hear about the faith of the Colossians. And then he talks about how he's been praying for them. And from verse 9, he says this, For this reason also, since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Isn't that what we want to do? strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience. Say patience. Patience. You see, you keep hearing this message that we're in the heavenly realm and we have everything, whatever. And then I know you walk out of this church and you go back and you look at your bank account or you look at your life or you look at your family and you say, hang on a minute, where is all that stuff? You see, this is where we need patience. You see, these things, it's not patience that God is going to do something. It's patience because God is patient with us because it takes a long time for our eyes to open sometimes because of some of the stuff that we've believed in the past. So with all that patience and long-suffering with joy, giving thanks to the Father, and this is what we want to read this morning, who has qualified us to be partakers, there's that word again, Brian mentioned partakers of the, div, of the divine, partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Where? In the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. And conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. So turn to your neighbor this morning and say, He has delivered us and He has conveyed us. Where to? Where to? Oh, we're going to ask that question now. We're going to ask that question. Um, now, we spoke about this two weeks ago. Go back and listen to that message again. We talked about living from a place called in God. That's where the believer is now, hidden with, God, with Christ in God. And so if you're a believer, then in God is not somewhere else. 
In God is your present reality. In God is your here. Can you say amen? I know you can say amen, but now there's saying it and there's believing it, isn't that right? But if you keep saying it, faith comes by hearing. Now listen, there's an old story told about this, and you've heard this before, about this American, and he's driving around Ireland, and he stops, and he winds down his window, and there's an old farmer sitting on a wall, and he says, excuse me, sir, could you tell me the way to Dublin? And the farmer looks at him and says, well, if I was going to Dublin, I wouldn't start from here. <laughs> what? People laugh, you know, without realizing, well, well, that makes no sort of sense. I mean, if I tell you now and give you directions to go somewhere, where are you going to start from? Okay, so all the Holy Spirit is saying to the church is, where's your here? To you, what is here? To you, what is here? I want to tell you this morning that the whole ministry of the Holy Spirit can be summed up in this. That basically he says to people, you are here. Here, this is where you are. He shows people where they are. Light and darkness, he shows people where they are. Like we've talked about this before, if you go into Foyside Shopping Center, you've never been there in, in your life before, and you wander in, you find yourself on one of the floors, you're looking for a particular shop, you see a map, you go over and look at the map, and it says, there it is, I'm looking for Starbucks, and it's on the third floor on the north side. Great, I can go there. No, you can't. Because first you have to find the little sign that says, you are here. You are here. You're not going anywhere until you understand where here is. Church of Jesus Christ is not doing great things in this city until she understands where here is, where we have begun. That's what we're speaking about in terms of growing up into our identity in Christ. Yes, we all know our history. We all know where we've been to church. And this country, of course, is full of that. What church do you go to? We all know what we've done, what we've failed to do, what we haven't done yet. But do we know who we are in him? Do we know where here is, where the church actually is in the light? This is a very important question. So to the unbeliever, let's talk about what that means to the unbeliever and what it means to the believer. If the ministry of the Spirit is to say, you are here. Well, first to the unbeliever, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the experience of the Holy Spirit is like seeing a light in the darkness. So throughout the scriptures, one of the most common pictures, of course, we know of the Holy Spirit is light. Praise God. He brings illumination. So to the unbeliever, to the unbeliever, the Holy Spirit saying, you are here, comes to them as a sudden awareness of how dark their normal is. Because until you see the light of God's love in the gift of Christ, you don't realize what darkness is, what being separate from God is. So to the unbeliever, an experience of the Holy Spirit saying, you are here, is like light in the darkness. The effect of that is to change their mind about what light and darkness is. You see, up to that point, they would think that, in fact, what they thought was light now, by the Holy Spirit, they see that their light is actually darkness compared to God's light. By the light of the Holy Spirit, they see that what they thought was wisdom is actually foolishness compared to God's wisdom. By the light of the Holy Spirit, they see that what they thought was truth was actually a lie compared to God's truth. And what they thought was life appears in the light of God to be death because death is separation. So with this light of the Holy Spirit revealing to them, you are here, they're presented with an opportunity to respond to the light of God, to the love of God. And they can come into the light, of course, or remain in the darkness, separate from the light. But as his light is his life, that would be to choose death. And some men do. John 3 tells us some prefer to stay in the darkness. And there are reasons for that. They will not come into the light. They prefer that. 
rather than coming into the light, which is union with God. So God gives them their choice, but it's their choice. I'm going to say something now, you see, about the character of the Father. Whatever I say or minister or whatever is said, I trust that you're imbibing things about God because knowing the Father is the primary foundation for understanding or receiving any of these great truths about you being in God or you being divine or you being in the light because if you don't believe the Father is that generous, you're never going to believe that. So let's talk about the generosity of the Father with people even who refuse to come into the light. See, John 3, 18 and 19 makes it clear that it's not God who condemns them for where they are, but that they remain in the condemnation of living apart from the life of God because they refuse to accept his gift of light. Imagine you open the door of a dark prison. You got the key, you opened the door, you threw open the door, and you said to the prisoner, there you go, come out into the light. If the prisoner refuses to come into the light, it doesn't really seem fair to blame you for imprisoning him. How should you get the blame for imprisoning him? You're the one who's opened the door. You're the one who's called him into the light. Why should you get the blame for condemning him to be imprisoned? And that's what Jesus said in John 3. He said, I didn't come to this world to condemn the world. The world's in condemnation. I've come to bring them out of condemnation. Now, that's very important to understand. God is not the author of condemnation and separation. Man did that to himself. In fact, God desires that not one person would be condemned, that no man should perish. I heard somebody say this recently very often. Many of us in the church have grown up thinking that God will be good to me if I repent. Whereas, in fact, the Bible says that you can't even repent properly unless you know that God is good. <laughs> God is good. He doesn't change. You change. I change. Good days, bad days. Hey, I might be good to you this week. I might be bad to you next week. Never to you, maybe. But God's not changed. He doesn't change like a man. He's immutable. He's good. He's always good. Now, our minds come in and out of the fact that, well, some days we think he's good, and then go back, and my car's got a puncture, and, my, and I miss my appointment, and I think he's bad. And I, I miss that appointment at a job, and I'm at the wrong place, and I think he's bad, and then I go to the right place and get the best job, and I think, hey, God is good. Yeah. You see? So we, we go up and down because we're looking with earthly eyes. We're understanding, well, I'm having a bad day today, therefore I don't think he's as good as those people of that church say he is. Well, stop looking with earthly eyes. God is good. And it's the revelation of God's goodness that causes men to repent, which is have a metanoia, change their mind. Change their mind about what? Change their mind about everything. Everything. From who God is to who you are and where you are. Everything. God doesn't do little changes. He does paradigm shifts. And that's what the church is going through right now. A paradigm shift in understanding and all by the grace of God. All by the grace of God. Only for qualification is that you want it. If you're fed up enough doing church, you'll want it. If you're fed up enough living a predictable life, if you want to see the things that God declares are normal in the heavenly realm, you want to be the answer to God's prayer, let it be on the earth as it is in heaven, then this is for you, praise God, the vision of God. So God desires that not one man should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9, he does not want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So not only does God not want to condemn one person to perish, but he doesn't have to because people are in condemnation. It's where he finds us, what he calls us out of. Jesus was quite clear about that in John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save it. And the following verse says, he that doesn't believe in Christ is condemned already. So in the same way, it's not fair to blame you and say that you condemned the prisoners of darkness when you're the one who opened the door. 
In the same way, it's not fair to blame God as the one who sends people into eternal separation from himself when he's the very one who gave his life that they could live in the light in union with himself. So he's not the one who sends them into darkness. He's the one who calls them out of darkness and calls and calls and calls, even crying over them when they're not listening to him as he cried over Jerusalem. So to the unbeliever, the Holy Spirit is saying, you are here. And that revelation comes like light in the darkness. And that revelation comes with the opportunity to walk in the light, come into the light, accept the light. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of a detour because when I was preparing this, the Lord began to speak to me about something. So a little bit of a detour. And I want to speak about how in the evangelical world, we have a little prayer uh, that people look to as a way of getting people into the light. Of course, this is called the sinner's prayer. Now, I would use that prayer, and you would use that prayer, and I've got nothing against that prayer. But I want to just, in your mind, make a slight correction. This prayer does not bring people into the light, okay? Now, let me explain what I mean by that. It's good to confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Savior. Do you believe that? But not if you don't believe it in your heart, it's not. I would make you a hypocrite. If you're saying a prayer that you haven't believed, what's that? That's a lie. You see? So any person who confesses that Jesus is Lord must only do it if they're doing it by the Spirit because they have already believed it in their heart. In other words, by the time someone confesses the sinner's prayer, faith has already been born in them by the Holy Spirit. That's why John 6, says, no man can come to the Son unless the Father draws him. So it's not the sinner's prayer that saves them. By that prayer, they can grow in faith but it's not the prayer that saves them. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit saved them. So in the same way, your confession doesn't save you. Your water baptism doesn't save you. Your prayer life doesn't save you. Going to church doesn't save you. Your church membership doesn't save you. Jesus Christ saved you. All right? Now, all those things are beneficial for you to grow and mature in your faith, mature in Christ, but none of those things birthed you into the light, into the sun. So I'm saying all that to say that it's not wise to automatically assume that someone is not in the light, not in Christ, just because they never said the sinner's prayer, which, by the way, has been around for about 150 years, okay? It's not that that births you into the kingdom, into the light, but it's very useful to help people to stand in the light and to confirm that they are in the light. An ability to confess faith in Christ through that prayer can be one sign of being in Christ. But it remains the case that it's not anything that you say or I say that saved us, for we were incapable of saying anything when you're dead in your sins. And that's where we were when he raised us from the dead. So it's the light in your life and the fact that we're in the light is not because I said, let there be light, but because he said, let there be light. And there was light in you and in me. Isn't that beautiful? So all I'm saying is what Paul told the Ephesians, men are saved by grace through faith, and this is not of yourselves. Faith is the gift of God, and it comes through the proclamation of a gospel that says, you are here. That's what the Holy Spirit is saying. So that's unbelievers. So we'll say that when unbelievers hear that ministry of the Holy Spirit, they suddenly be aware that there's a difference between darkness and light. There's a difference in darkness and light. And my goodness me, you know, you'd really have to put your, your feet down not to go into the light. Who doesn't want to come into the light? Unless there's something you don't want to be seen in the light, you know? So God says, if you want to live your own life, you live your own life. But what I offer you is life with me. Now, we know that sometimes in our family and friends, we pray for them for years, and somehow they don't want to walk in union, you know? They're just... And, and sometimes the only reason, the only time when they do 
want to walk with him is when they come to the end of walking with themselves. You know, uh, you know? so it's funny sometimes, and we know when our family are in trouble and, and, and we pray for them, you know, but sometimes the Lord is saying, well, actually, they're probably closer now to waking up to the fact that they're not Lord and their life is darkness compared to light than at any other time. Well, anyway, we're talking about the believer this morning. So what it is to the believer when the Holy Spirit says, you are here. He does not come to reveal that you and I are in darkness, but that you're in the light. Because if you're in the sun, you are in the light. For in him, there is no darkness at all. Did you hear that? No darkness at all. That's why Jesus was able to say to his church, you are the light of the world. That's why he was able to say to Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, you're persecuting me. And Saul would have said, I'm not persecuting you. I'm persecuting these heretics, you know. He says, you're coming against the light. Interesting, he was blinded when he came up against that light. No darkness at all. We're told not to look directly at the sun, aren't we? Even when there's eclipses of the sun, you're supposed to look through something, you know. Oh, wow. When you think... And you begin to come into our minds of who we are in Christ, like bright, shining lights. The demonic, you will find, will draw back. When Jesus stood up in the synagogue and began to speak, demons screamed and ran out. You are pure light. As Thomas says, we're going to have to get darker and darker glasses just to be able to see ourselves in the mirror. <laughs> well, it depends how our eyes get used to the light, isn't that right? So, if by the proclamation of the gospel, the Holy Spirit declares to all men, believers and unbelievers, you are here, that's why it's so important that we believers continue to sit under the gospel that declares he has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of his son. Because so many of us in the church for so long have lived as if here is separation from God, not union with God. And we have lived like that because we have lived with an earthly mindset rather than a heavenly mindset. We have seen ourselves more after the flesh than after the spirit. We've lived more as if we have not been raised yet rather than people who were raised with Christ. So rather than see ourselves as hidden with Christ and God, we've tended to see ourselves more as trying to reach God. Rather than see ourselves as living in victory, we've tended to see ourselves more as, well, we're getting there, you know? I mean, this week I was a wee bit closer to victory than last week. <laughs> We are not on our way to victory. We are a people coming from a victory. That's why we have good news. You see, the gospel is news of a great victory. You see, when you're coming from a victory, you, you just got nothing but thankfulness. When you're on your way to a victory, you're thinking, well, I hope this goes well. Most of us as Christians, we live our lives going, I hope this goes well. The Holy Spirit said, it went brilliant, actually. It went great. Because it's based on his life, and his life is perfect. So now you can start from there. You can start from that place called here perfect in Christ. So no wonder the Holy Spirit still ministers to the church in 10,000 different ways, one constant message. You are here. He has delivered us, and he has conveyed us. So believer, you're in Christ, and Christ is now for us our righteousness, our holiness, our redemption, our very nature. Holiness and righteousness are not the end goal. They're the starting place. It's where you begin from. It's here. If you're going to go on a journey as a believer, start from here. Start from the divine nature. Start from righteousness. Start from your position in Christ. Start from the heavenly realm. Because if we don't learn to start to live from there, no one's going to see heaven on the earth. Because we're looking with the same eyes they're looking. And we'll just be sitting there with delicious servant going, woe is us. Because there's more of us, more of them than there is of us. 
One with God is a majority. Can you say amen? Holiness and righteousness are not your end goal. They're your point of departure. So I'm not going to tell you every week that what you need to be do to do in order to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I'm going to declare to you what the Apostle Paul declared over the Colossians, that your calling is now to give thanks to the Father who has qualified. Turn to the person beside you and say, has qualified. He has qualified you to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in, in the light because he has delivered us from the power of darkness and he has conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins notice the tense there it's all past tense it's all speaking of things we already have now we saw this two weeks ago we went to hebrews and we saw that beautiful scripture that says where there is forgiveness of sins there is no longer any offering for sin you know where that declares the end of religion you can live beyond religion if you will live in a here where there is forgiveness of sins but if you won't live in that here then you just got to join everybody else in a religious march and maybe one day praise the Lord yes by the grace of God but you know what on that day when we stand before the Lord we'll realize in a moment that we could have lived like this down there and if we would lived like this down there many more people would have seen Christ in us Wherever in the world and whenever believers have a revelation that here and now there is forgiveness of sins, religion rises up to oppose that message because turkeys don't vote for Christmas. We saw that. The news that we have already been conveyed into the kingdom of a son cannot coexist with the religious message about what we need to keep doing in order to be one day be with God. Two things can't mix. Can't mix oil and water. Someone can set up a ferry business to ferry someone across the foil. <laughs> you know but they're not going to do much business you know why somebody built a bridge to join the two the two sides so you can't charge people to go across when somebody has provided a way across the only people now who are going to try and pay you to get across are those who don't see the bridge the bridge is Christ in Christ God has reconciled the world to himself and is now no longer counting their sins against them. So this is actually religion and self-effort can only exist in the world when so many people are blind about Christ, about what he has done for them. So this is the good news, the gospel which the Holy Spirit declares to believers, you are here because so many believers are so earthly-minded that we're blind to this heaven reality that the Father has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, the son of his love. And the more heavenly minded you are, the less as a believer you will revere the powers of darkness or build them up because you were delivered from the powers of darkness. Now, I'm not saying you don't get a hard time. I'm not saying the enemy's not at work. I'm not saying we're not unaware of his strategies. I'm just saying that we live more in the heavenly realm. We'd see through things and we'd see over things and we'd walk through things much easier than we do when we build him up to be something above us when we have been placed above him. You are hidden with Christ in God. All things, all things have passed away. Behold, oh, there's that word. Oh, there's that word. Say that word, all. All things have become. Okay. Make this good confession. I am a brand new creation. Now, you know, if we say that every morning, if you can say that on the worst day of your life, 
And you can say that when you've messed up big time. And everybody has written you off, and you can stand there and say, by the grace of God, I am a brand new creation. You see, I'm not what I do. That's why people in the church struggle with this idea of calling yourself righteous or calling yourself a saint or calling yourself holy or divine because we identify ourselves by what we do. We're thinking, but I don't do that. I mean, I, I know what I did last Wednesday. I know what I do that. Yeah, but you see, the world, that's earthly thinking. The world identifies people by what you do. God identifies you by his son. Who were you born from? I have two sons here. I don't identify them by what they do. They were born from me. And without doing anything at all, they get more and more like me. Isn't that wonderful? <laughs> because they have my DNA. Are you telling me that human DNA is stronger than the Holy Spirit? I'm not saying, therefore, that there's nothing for us to do. God, by His grace, allows us to cooperate with Him, you know? And one of the ways we can cooperate with Him is to open our eyes, allow Him to open our eyes. No false humility. Humble yourself and realize that we need the divine nature, the gift of God. I remember in a prayer meeting here one night, Eileen, you said it, there's not one person who can live the Christian life. There's only one person who's ever managed to do it. Praise the Lord. So let's have His life working through us rather than our life for Him. See, I was told for years, and I carried that mentality into my Pentecostal experience, that forgiveness was something that I could get. So let me read you this again. The greatest paradigm shift in the mind of believers, what transforms our lives most, is when our thinking is enlightened by the Holy Spirit to start to see that everything earthly-minded religion tells you that you need to do, Christ already did on the cross. That's worth saying again. The greatest paradigm shift, and we're speaking about a paradigm shift in the church, in the mind of believers, what transforms our life most is when our thinking is enlightened by the Holy Spirit. You could say when our eyes start to see that everything earthly-minded religion tells us we need to do has been done at the cross. If you're a believer, you now live in the kingdom of God in whom we have forgiveness of sins. So, growing up, obviously, in the culture that I grew up in, and many of you too, I had to go along on a regular basis to confess my sins because it was told to me that I couldn't receive forgiveness unless I confessed my sin. Now, there's great joy in confessing your sin. The Bible talks about confession. and actually just talks about talking to God, talking to each other. We can get comfort. But you know what? I never got any joy from confessing my sins because of two things. First of all, as soon as I out of the box, I realized that there were sins I hadn't confessed. <laughs> you see, you don't just have to confess the big ones. Sin is sin. What about all the small ones? And what about the sins of omission? The things you should have done this week that you forgot to do or didn't do. You see? See, once you start down that road, your peace is gone. All you'll get is condemnation. I got lots of condemnation, especially when I saw myself go back to the sins that I just confessed last month. So you can either live in the light of what God has done or in the light of what you have done. Every person will live in a light. They'll either live in the light of what God has done or in the light of what you have done. If you live in the light of what God has done, you will live in the forgiveness of sins. You will live in that light. You will know that your sins are forgiven. And you can lie down in peace. But if you insist on living in your own light, that basically that you're going to live according to how well you have, and you can fill in the gap, done your prayers, done your confession, confess what you want, then you are making a light for yourself. And it says actually in Isaiah 50 that people who try and live in those lights lie down in torment. 
There's a terrible torment that comes from not knowing the gospel, from not knowing and having the assurance of salvation that your sins are dealt with, you know? You tell somebody that it's 99% Jesus and 1% them, they'll never sleep at night. How do you ever know you've done your 1%? See, you have to die, and that's what the gospel says happened. You died. So set your mind on things above, because you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Okay, so we're coming to the end. Somebody say amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. <laughs> so anything that leaves your gaze on you is taking your eyes off the heavenly vision, Christ and him crucified, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So the Holy Spirit declares to people everywhere the same message, you are here. And there are thousands of people in the city who need to see that they are in darkness. But you know what? You can't see what darkness is until you see the light. That's the most amazing thing. How are they to know they're living in separation from God if they don't see a people living in union with God? It is said that a fish doesn't know what water is. He doesn't even know it's something, you know. He's just always in it. If somebody picks him out of the river and throws him on the bank, he'll soon know what water is, you know. An unbeliever can't know what darkness is until they see the light. Praise God. Only the light of God's unconditional love found in Christ reveals to believers what love, what light truly is, who God truly is, the one who gave everything that they would live with him. So shouting at unbelievers about their darkness does not reveal to them their darkness. Condemning them doesn't reveal to them their darkness. It just reveals how far we're living from the heart of him who did not come to condemn the world, but to save the world. The only thing that reveals darkness for what it is, is light. And where is the world to find such a light? And Jesus gave the answer. He said, you, you, and 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 you, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Why? Because I have conveyed you out of the kingdom of darkness. I have delivered you from that kingdom, from the power of darkness, and I have conveyed you into the light. Now you are the light of the world, so walk in the light. And I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, you are here, and for you here is in God. It's in the light. So walk in the light. Walk in the light of what God has done. Walk before this world in deep humility and thanksgiving. For all your church going and all your sinning less than unbelievers is not what conveyed you into the light. That's not what did it. Fix your eyes on he who conveyed you into the kingdom of the Son, Christ and him crucified, and in that light, in light of what God has done, not in the light of what you've done for him, in the light of what God has done, you can walk with God and you can live in God. So live before him today as someone living in the heavenly realm, someone living in God today. Walk as someone who's been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Now, I say all that to say that at the next conference I was at during the week, uh, there was an experience of that. Because I really believe that there is a veil being taken off the church. Now, we know what the veil is. The Bible says quite clearly it's the preaching of the law. It veils the church to the heavenly realms. That veil is being removed, and it's like a thinning almost of this uh, wall between the earthly realm and the supernatural realm. Now, Brian spoke about it this morning when the prophet Balaam and his eyes had to be opened to see an angel standing there. Do you know there's angels here? I get carried away of an angel. Uh, you know, it's great to see an angel, get excited about an angel. I'm still getting over the fact that God lives in me. <laughs> let, let me get over that one and I'll get on to about angels, you know. But you know what? To see in the heavenly realm, this is our inheritance, you know, to actually see. Now, at the conference, we had some wonderful times of praise and worship. Do you know that in the atmosphere of praise and worship, people can begin to see things? 
It's interesting, isn't it? You know that, Kirsten, isn't it? I bet at open skies, you're going to start to see things. You're going to start to hear things maybe you never heard before. What is that? It's almost like a thinning of the wall between this realm and the heavenly realm. Now, prayer is another one that really thins the wall. You know, we talk about Ananias praying about Saul of Tarsus, and then his eyes opening and seeing that, God, this is actually God's man coming to Damascus, you know? Anyway, this woman in this atmosphere of praise and worship, pastor's wife from Scotland, she began to get a revelation. I got my phone out, and I recorded what she said. She stood up, and she gave this sort of prophetic word, talked about a vision she'd seen the previous night for the church, speaking about the fellowship or the apostolic fellowship, but I know it's speaking about the whole church. Let me read you what she said, because I wrote it down. So she had had a vision. She had a vision of God peeling back the roof of the church like a tin can so she could see the stars. Then she felt the Lord give her a scripture to begin to pray over people and situations. And the scripture was this, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on the earth as it is in heaven. And as she started to pray that, she saw the Lord like a lion roaring over the church, and his roar was breaking glass over the church. And when she asked the Lord what the glass was, he said it was the earthly mindset. Isn't that beautiful? The earthly limitations. He said he was showing her that we are a people of heaven and that we've been positioned in heaven, in Christ. And because we've been positioned in heaven, it should be normal for us to bring heaven to earth. And heaven is a limitless place. She said there is no sickness in heaven. There is no fear in heaven. There is no shame in heaven. And there, there's all the riches of Christ belonging to us. And she went on to say this. We have experienced this week a thinning between heaven and earth to bring us into heavenly places, to help us to feel that connection that we already have with heaven. And I believe that God wants us to bring that back to our churches, not just so we can have a great time in our services, but so that we can reach our inheritance, which are the lost. I also believe that God has been dropping ideas into various leaders' hearts of how to reach the lost. And some of them seem a little bit crazy. But the Lord showed me David dancing before the Lord and what he had said to his wife, which was, I did this before the Lord who chose me, and I will become even more undignified than this. Wow. Oh, I was so excited when I heard that, you know. And so I say all that to finish by saying this. Church is going to change. The way we do church is going to change. It's changing everywhere. Sometimes we get an idea that um, church needs to be done in a dignified way. But when you see in the heavenly realm, there's a difference between dignity on the earth and dignity in heaven. David danced in a very undignified way. It says his wife, she looked out of a window, she despised it, and she was barren the rest of her life. She could never produce anything, you see, because he was receiving from heaven. When we have this revelation of God with us, it means really that, first of all, primarily our means of evangelism is to be the light that when we leave this place, we do not diminish in light. We encourage each other in the light, you know. Meet up during the week, text each other, have meals together, speak life over each other. It's difficult when you're on your own sometimes. When people are together, it's easier. But get together with God's people, with people who know who you are in the Spirit, and build yourself up in your holy man, in your inner man, that you would be bright, shining lights. So when you walk into the office of where you are, you're filled up with the revelation of heaven. That when you look at people, you can see them differently. You don't see them the way everybody else sees them because you now have heavenly vision. So you can see that reprobate in the office. He's actually a great man of God or she's a great man of God. Or that kid in, in, in Sunday school that keeps disrupting, they're actually a leader. They're actually a leader. They have a leadership anointing. You can just see things from a heavenly realm. 
And so as we do that, we're going to find that more and more of those unchurched people are going to end up in here, you know, and their lives are going to be all in a mess, and their language isn't going to be very good. Sorry, Nicola. And there are going to be all sorts of things. But you know what? I believe that that sort of messy church in heaven is more dignified. That's dignity. To reveal to people that God is a friend of sinners. That's dignity in the church. So let me pray for you this beautiful prayer that Paul prayed for the Colossians, and then we'll close. Let's bow our heads. Father, we pray that we may all be increasingly filled with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that we may walk worthy of you, fully pleasing you, being fruitful in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to your glorious power, for all patience and long suffering with joy, giving thanks to you, Father, who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. For you have delivered us from the power of darkness, and you have conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of your love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.